Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hey everyone, this is Klaatu. You're listening to Commons and Chronicles. Today we're going to continue our discussion of dragons with the green dragon. But before we begin, I want to muse about how the characteristics of all these dragons came about and why they persist through all of the different editions of Dungeons and Dragons and indeed how they've influenced modern interpretation of dragons. Now, once again, as I've said previously, not everyone thinks of dragons in terms of their definitions in Dungeons and Dragons. I do think that Dungeons and Dragons has been very, very influential in how we in the modern world look at dragons and interpret dragons and think of dragons in mythological terms. We all know that dragons aren't real. A lot of us very typically believe that there's a hierarchy to dragons, believe that there are different kinds of dragons, and it's just something that you fall into because if you're a fan of fantasy literature or just someone who who has a passing interest in fantastic art even, you, you realize at some point that the idea of a dragon isn't singular. There's not a single dragon out there. There, it's, there. there are many different ideas of dragons. Some are red, some are green. That's the, the first thing you'll notice if you look at popular interpretations of dragons, and then you might start to notice that, that the design of the dragon is different depending on the artist or the description. And then you, you realize that beyond that there are different personalities to different dragons. Some are really, really bad and scary, and some are very docile and hang out with with elven maidens in fields of green, and others are magical and mystical and appear in the night sky, and and so on. So you, you get all these different interpretations of this dragon idea. So you might not connect any of that with Dungeons and Dragons. You you might have different ideas about dragons than, than D&D asserts. But the idea that, that dragons are, are a diverse fantastic creature is pretty easy to to come to that conclusion for for most people i think dnd has had an influence though on 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 our ability to classify dragons just because after a while with its what 40 year history a lot of its of its assertions about dragons have been sort of propagated just because that's been the understanding of of dragons people it's a useful understanding people can use that in their games and so they start to to talk about dragons in terms that are useful to them and so it it has started to or it started i think long ago to really infiltrate the common understanding of of how dragons may be arranged by no means is it universal but I think that it's so structured in D&D, it is something that many of us get, whether we know it's from D&D or not. And furthermore, it's something that is reflected in the stat blocks in ways that I don't think is reflected so much, really, in anything else. Like, I think you could look at the stat blocks to 
I don't know, probably goblins or something like that, and not really walk away with an understanding of what a goblin is like. And I don't even know that there's that much structure to, to goblins in, in D&D. I mean, there is, but, but not like there are for dragons, I don't think. I mean, I guess you could argue that there's structure once you start broadening what you're looking at. You start talking about goblins in relation to hobgoblins, in relation to bugbears, nilbogs, and so on. But within the goblin ranks, I don't think there's that much of a hierarchy like like we have for dragons. But dragons, there's there's this very specific characteristic that each different color of the chromatic dragons and each shade of the metallic dragons takes on, and that has to be necessarily reflected in their monster stat block. And I think that's a, a pretty unique characteristic within D&D, where the stat block is so descriptive and so specific that it implies the lore around them. I think that's significant, because I, I don't believe that... I mean, typically lore isn't covered by the open game license, but in the Monster Manual, most of the lore is covered by the open game license, and I think part of that is because the stat blocks often imply a lot of the lore. N not everything is covered by the open game license, and that's why I'm not mentioning specific dragons by names, legendary dragons, and so on. That wouldn't be covered under the open game license. But these characteristics, the, the description of their environments, that sort of thing, is open game license content, as evidenced by its... by by it existing in several different editions of D&D, not the least of which being something published by a completely different company. Okay, so we're going to talk about the green dragon. Young green dragons, you're looking at a large dragon. Adult, you're looking at huge. Ancient, you're looking at gargantuan. That's pretty standard stuff. Let's just look at the adult, because that's kind of your standard, standard level green dragon. Armor class, 19. That's all from natural armor. Hit points, 207. That's spread across 18d12 plus 90. Speed is 40 feet, fly is 80 feet, swim is 40 feet. Strength, plus 6, dex plus 1, con plus 5, int plus 4, wisdom plus 2, 3, uh, plus 3 for charisma. Saving throws, uh, we don't care. Deception, insight, perception, uh... Did I say perception or deception? Deception plus uh, 8, insight plus 7, perception plus 12, persuasion plus 8, and stealth plus 6. Damage immunities, poison. Condition immunities, poison. They have blind sight, dark vision, and passive perception, 22. They're a challenge rating of 15 for 13,000 experience points. They're amphibious, the green dragons are. They can breathe... Uh, both air and water. And they've got a special uh, legendary resistance that they can use thrice daily, which is if the dragon fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed instead. So you just, you just succeed at will. It has a multi-attack. The dragon can use its frightful presence. It then makes three attacks... One with its bite, two with its claws. It has weapons that include its bite, its claw, and its tail, its frightful presence, obviously, and then a poison breath attack. So rather than breathing fire, these uh, breathe uh, poisonous gas in a 60-foot cone. 
each creature in that area must make a DC 18 constitution saving throw, taking 56, that's 16d6 poison damage, on a failed save, or half as much on a successful. So even a failed save, you're taking 28 points of damage on average. So that's all from the 5th edition monster manual. There's a little bit extra in the Pathfinder bestiary, which I, I, I like quite a lot that got sort of dropped from 5th. One of the things that I particularly like is the Awaken Treant ability. This this speaks to the Green Dragon's uh, environment or, or typical, typical environment, which is a temperate forest. So the Awaken Treant ability... A great worm uh, dragon can call on the forest itself to aid it, animating a number of trees to serve as treants to protect it. These treants can be called from any huge or larger living tree. A green dragon can create a single treant as a standard action up to a total of, a tre- of four treants per day. These treants remain animated for up to one hour, at which time they revert to being ordinary trees. They also have camouflage. An old or older green dragon can be can use stealth to hide in any sort of natural terrain, even if the terrain does not grant cover or concealment. And a little bit more specifically in the in the 3.5 edition, the, the breath attack, was not specifically poison, it was acid. Now, functionally, I don't know that they actually act any differently in 5th edition. I, I have no reason to believe that they do. Maybe it's an important bit of flavor, whether it's acid or poison, because those two do seem to say two different things, at least to me. Uh, one is not caustic, and the other is. So, uh, Green Dragon, no matter what what edition? Again, this is it's pretty consistent. The green dragons are known for being, I'll, I'll just sort of broadly say, manipulative. In, in other words, d- depending on the edition, it kind of uses different terminologies and so on, but in the Draconomicon from 3.5 days, it says that they're belligerent creatures and master of intrigue, politics, and backbiting. And in 5th edition, it, it uses similar terminology. In Pathfinder, it uses similar terminology of just being manipulative, being deceptive, and again, the monster manual itself gives it a, a deception rating of, what did I say, plus eight or something. So they're they're definitely good at that, and that's that's kind of their modus operandi, is to sow discord. They can sow discord in several different ways, obviously, and they like to do that. And when they're hunting their prey, they are fond of that knowledge of 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 the terror that they're that they're inspiring in their in their prey and they, they they don't go in for the quick kill they would prefer to inspire that kind of terror and then to swoop in when the prey is at their weakest it's it's not exactly the the bravest and boldest um way of going about things and I, I i feel like in a way they would be somewhat akin to maybe a blue dragon in a way you might think that they're they're uh, you know it's it's it lacks a little bit of honor i guess is what i'm saying especially in a fantasy setting but that's what they do and they they enjoy that however does it come across that way actually not at all so socially 
when dealing with other creatures, they are super smooth. They're honey-tongued, they're sophisticated, they will say whatever needs to be said. They're just super... That they're they're everything that they need to be when dealing with other with other creatures. Now, among other dragons, they're considered loud and boorish, and and sort of crass. But they know how to put on the airs of elegance and sophistication, and whatever they need to do to deceive whomever they're talking to into believing you know, whatever serves them, them best. So they're, they're quite an elusive creature when trying to pin down the, their true nature in the world, in the, in the fantasy world. If you, if you were a documenter, like, um, trying to, 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 you know, write about the, the, the science and, and ecology and, and psychology of, of dragons, you would probably misdocument the green dragon. You would not know exactly what they were like. You would you would document what you thought they were like based on your experience with the green dragon, or or based on tales from people who have survived an experience with a green dragon. And you would likely get it all wrong because it would have all been a ruse. The uh, physical size of the green dragons we're looking at uh the large the adult large dragon being 31 feet in length 10 feet body length 11 foot um neck and then 10 foot tail their body width about five feet standing height nine feet maximum wingspan is 36 feet minimum is 18 uh weight would be 2500 pounds the huge is a quite almost one order of magnitude larger than that in in terms of of dimension. It's twenty thousand pounds weight, and then gargantuan, uh, sort of a large and a huge put together. So it's eighty five feet overall length, wingspan of uh, eighty feet for one hundred and sixty thousand pounds. Green dragons, as I as I alluded earlier, live in and around forests. The older the forest, the bigger the trees, the better. That's where they feel comfortable. That's where they hunt really well. Again, in the Pathfinder edition, they in 3.5, they have the, uh, the, the forest, something like forest step or something like that, where they can forget the name of the, the ability. Well, it's camouflage, obviously, but there's uh, something, ah, woodland stride. A very young or older green dragon can move through any sort of foliage at full speed without taking damage or suffering impairment. Areas of foliage that have been magically manipulated affect it normally. So, very, very comfortable in the forest. That is not an ability that is mentioned in the 5th edition that I saw. So, it's something that, again, kind of got lost in the translation. But the the intent is obviously that they're, they just... It's their home. The forest is where they are comfortable. It's where they grew up. They know it quite well. They prefer, for their 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 lair, they prefer locations that are hidden from 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 view. So they'll they'll take a cave, for instance, behind a waterfall, or 
maybe near a lake or a pond or a stream that provides a submerged entrance. So you could have a green dragon cave that you can only reach by going underwater. And they are, again, amphibious, so that would that would very much make sense for them. Old green dragons can conceal their lairs with plants that have magically grown. Uh, green dragons can clash, as you might imagine, if, if they are doing the um, underwater lair. They can clash with black dragons for their, their choice of lairs uh, in, in cases where the black dragon and the green dragon would intersect, which, which would, I, I feel would be a, that sort of forest-slash-swamp environment. Maybe a, a, I don't know, a rainforest? I've never been in a rainforest, but the, the black dragons you, you do kind of associate with swamps, and swamps, while wooded, are, are not necessarily the same as a forest, so you yeah, I think the intersection would have to be very specific, but it would totally work. It could totally happen. Nothing about the green dragons really struck me as reflecting their lawful evil nature. Well, their evil nature, sure, but not, not necessarily their lawful. And from the 5th edition Monster Manual, you don't really ever get any indication of, of why that, of that, why that classification was, was applied to them, to be honest. They come across as, um, corrupt, manipulative, just in general very evil. Not really sure where the, the lawful part comes in. And and you don't really get that in any I should have I should specify actually. Neither the three point five or the fifth edition monster manual really make it clear as to where the lawful angle comes in. And so you kinda have to just assume that they're lawful because they respect a dragon god, and 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 they follow the the lawful whatever lawful god uh, applies to dragons in your setting. But the Draconomicon, uh, as as you might expect, provides a little bit of insight here, and that is that the lawful nature comes into play quite strongly in their family life. So when they find a mate, they they mate for not necessarily life, but they they mate for, you know, a, a good amount of time, like at least as long as it takes to, to raise the child. And they are true to one another, and they stick by each other, they help each other uh, raise the child. They never, you know, one parent's always with the child. It, it's a, um, a very sort of traditional, I guess, style of, of parenting where the parents are there. They are sort of treating the child as kind of an apprentice or a successor, and everything is, um, is very structured within the family setting. And indeed, there's structure to the, the, to the lineage as well. You know, you, you respect your elder green dragon, that sort of thing. But not so much that there's an actual social structure. It's just kind of this loose recognition that if you're older, you're probably wiser, you deserve respect, and so that's going to happen. But it isn't as if you would wander into a green dragon den and find the elder dragon holding court with a bunch of other younger dragons. It's not that structured. 
there's just a default setting of the older and bigger you are, the more respect you get if you're encountered by some other dragon, uh, by some other green dragon. I think in terms of lawful evil, the green dragons are, are, are probably pretty loose on the, the lawful part of the spectrum, because that, that, that's the, the closest thing I could find to any indication that the green dragons were lawful, and that that is purely in the in the family setting. You know, cynically, I, I was thinking, well, you can't be lawful and deceptive at the same time. Those are not compatible. And, and then I sat down and thought about what law usually implies, and actually there's an argument to be made, I think, that the only thing you can be if you're lawful is deceptive. I mean, I say that sort of as a, as a jab to anything lawful, but I'm actually also being serious, which is which is to say that if you're being lawful, then you are looking at one side of a thing, right? That's necessarily that's what you are doing, or or I guess you could argue two sides of a thing. But it's it's a very limited scope. Everything has to fall within this category in order for it to be subject to this law. There there's no room for edge cases or for exceptions or for unforeseen circumstances. Everything has to fit within this structure that has been created. So the deception of a green dragon is arguably a, a very accurate and true reflection of what a lawful evil creature would do. Got to get away from that tendency to think of of anything lawful as being as of being either a paladin or anti-paladin. Okay, so. Let's talk really quick about the incubation of a green dragon because it's really, really good. So there's um, the green dragons. The the eggs are small size, which again, just to refresh the the definitions here, the small is a two foot in length egg, eight pounds in weight, hardness ten uh, with fifteen hit points, and breaking DC of thirteen. The says the dragon egg has a maximum diameter equal to about half its length. So we're looking at an 8 foot in length and um, 4 foot diameter, I guess. So the green dragon uh, wormlings incubate for 120 days. Nope, sorry. They're ready to lay in 120 days. They uh, incubate in 480 days. And yeah, again, they're they're small, small in size. But the the really neat thing about it is that the eggs must be immersed in acid, strong enough to deal at least one d4 points of damage per round, or buried in leaves moistened with rain water. So, the leaves and rain water sounds very, kind of, true and and realistic. Submerging it in acid though is just really really cool. And obviously that's the way that I would have the green dragon eggs be found, because there's just no other way, right? You can't just have them in moistened forest foliage. That's just boring. Having them in a pool of acid that will burn people's hands off, that's kind of neat. So there you go. That's um, that's the incubation period of, of dragons, of wormlings, for the green dragons. That's about everything I've got about the green dragons. 
that's everything from 5th edition Monster Manual, from 3.5 Monster Manual, and from the Draconomicon. Hopefully that was informative, gives you a good idea of what they were thinking of when they drummed up the Green Dragon in Dungeons & Dragons. Next time we will tackle another one of the chromatic dragons, and eventually we'll get onto the metallic, and then eventually we'll get onto the third-party dragons, which is what started all of this in the first place. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.